Pastor Rob here from City East Church and MTL Ministries. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1 to 11. Now, about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God can say, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gift of healings by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy to another the ability to to distinguish between spirits, to another the ability to speak in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. So let's pray. Lord, I just uh, thank you for your word, and I thank you that in your word is the complete counsel of God that we can draw from and learn from and grow in. And I just pray that this sermon today will just have a, have a way of just touching our hearts and, and stirring us to seek after the uh, gifts of the Spirit and see that they're working in our life. And so, Lord, as, as I go into this, Lord, I pray that you will help me to reveal the truth in relation to these, this passage of Scripture and that I'll do it justice and also that I'll motivate and encourage us to, to go deeper with it. And I pray this in your wonderful name. Bless this sermon now. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Desiring spiritual gifts. Bruce Kemper said, Each of us as members of the body of Christ has been given at least one spiritual gift. In that list there, if we read it through again, you'll probably be able to identify one and say, yeah, I have that. Or at least a part of that. I'm, I'm, I'm moving in that gift. There are still gifts that we aren't moving in and we can all vouch that there'll be quite a few there that we're not. But we're given at least one spiritual gift. Now, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. That we should eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. That's what we should be desiring, we should be looking at uh, and hoping for is the gift to be able to prophesy. And there's reasons for that, which I'm going to go into a bit later. 1 Corinthians 14, 12 says, Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. The reason why we get given gifts is to build up the church, to encourage the church and to grow the church. It should always be to build others up. 1 Peter 4.10, Peter said, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. So the gifts are given to serve, not so that we can be famous because we have the gifts. And we've got to get this really clear because a lot of these gifts, spiritual gifts, have been used for self-promotion over the years and it's really done a lot of damage to the church so we've got to make sure that we have the right motive behind seeking after the gifts 
If we want the gifts, we should ask the Father. Matthew 7.11 says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So you ask the Father, and he wants to give us good gifts because he doesn't want to give us bad things. He wants to give us good things. But I'm, I'm interested in this passage because there's another passage which is nearly identical. Luke 11.13, and it says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So which word's been changed? Replaced from gift. So the gift from God and the Holy Spirit are interchangeable because they're gifts of the Spirit. Isn't that interesting? The gifts talked about here are spiritual gifts, not material gifts. A lot of people read that first verse, Matthew seven eleven, and think it's talking about, you know, I should have that new dress because, you know, not me. <laughs> so, <laughs> someone else, <laughs> girl, hopefully. <laughs> the gifts talked about here are spiritual gifts, not material gifts. Not that the Father doesn't take care of our material needs, because he does, but spiritual gifts should be our first concern, not dresses, so that we can build up the church of God. Okay, remember that, girls. And built. <laughs> the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So Acts 1, 4 to 5, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Who are they talking about? Jesus. Jesus. Because Acts 1, Jesus is still with them in the earlier part. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. So again, the Holy Spirit is referenced here as the gift from above. Here Jesus is clearly referencing the Holy Spirit as the promised gift. Acts 2, 38 to 39, Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So again, Holy Spirit referenced as the gift from God. So the gifts listed in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10 are this. The first one is the message of wisdom. Second is the message of knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, discernment of spirits, Ability to speak in diverse tongues and interpretation of tongues. This list of gifts has been classified into three areas. Um, Revelational gifts, which are wisdom, knowledge and discernment. Power gifts, which is faith, healing and miracles. And inspirational gifts, which is prophecy, tongues and interpretation of tongues. So the first one is the message of wisdom. The word translated message in the Greek is logos which is more commonly translated word. Um, But in the NIV, they translate it message, as do quite a few other translations. They translate it message, but um, it's most commonly translated word. This spiritual gift of a word of wisdom or message of wisdom is one which I believe is released in and upon us as we dedicate ourselves to the study of Scripture and also as we devote ourselves to prayer. Now, you're going to find that all of the revelational gifts are bestowed upon you and in accordance with your depth of knowledge of the Word of God. 
it's like the Holy Spirit needs you to have a base of understanding in the Word of God for Him to give you revelation in relation to that. So those gifts, in a lot of ways, are very active in our church, these revelational gifts, because we're always receiving extra insight into Scripture. I notice when everyone does their uh, message on the um, memory verse that we learn each, each month, you know, everyone who speaks a message up here speaks from a revelational standpoint. They have something interesting to reveal to us about the verse that we're studying. 1 Corinthians 2, 7-8 says, Now we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So God's secret wisdom is who we, what we speak with. This knowledge that we have, or this wisdom that we have from God, uh, especially coming from the Bible, is saved for a few. You know, it only seems to be a few in the world seems to embrace it and, and really lay hold of it. There's so many cults and religions out there that it just don't have God's secret wisdom. So don't take this wisdom lightly. Treat it with utmost respect because God has blessed you to be able to sit under a ministry, and this ministry here and other ministries around the world that we may sit under as well. Um, like I feel blessed to sit under Joe Schimmel's ministry and William Lane Craig's and Chuck Missler's and, and others because I just feel that, uh, you know, God's bestowed them with revelational gifts of the Spirit. So we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. So it's a, it's a precious, precious thing that we sit under in this as we read the Bible and the Word. Paul reveals that if the rulers had the wisdom of God, that they would not have crucified Jesus. That's what he's pointing out in the Scripture. If they, None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They wouldn't have crucified Jesus if they had the secret wisdom and knowledge of God. So what that means is this wisdom is the doctrine of salvation. If they had that wisdom, they would know that uh, the doctrines of salvation through the incarnation and the death of Christ, as well as all the other doctrines of theology, if they had that knowledge, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, would they? So it's only the few that seem to embrace that wisdom. It's only the few that humble themselves to want to know the truth and embrace the truth. An unknown author defined wisdom when he said, wisdom is knowledge rightly applied. So you can have people that know a lot of things, but they can't apply the things they know. But someone who can know a lot of things and apply the things they know is a wise person. So if you know the Word of God, but you don't know how to reveal the Word of God to someone else, then you've got to pray for a message of wisdom so or a word of wisdom so that you can rightly apply the, the gospel into people's lives as you speak with them. I'm always praying that. God, help me to reach people with the gospel. Help me to rightly apply the knowledge of the Word of God so that I can touch people's hearts with the message. Proverbs 4.7 says, Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. So wisdom is supreme. Wisdom is the highest gift you can ask for. So get it. And understanding, it's going to cost you everything you have to have that understanding and that wisdom, but get it. Even if you, you know, you have to forsake so many things to get it, make sure you get it. You know, the truth of the matter is, is, is people who seem to live the best in life, 
when I say live the best, it might not mean that their conditions necessarily around them are, are the best, but the people who seem to go through life the best are the wisest people, aren't they? The people that aren't wise seem to suffer the same things over and over and over again. But you've got to pray, Lord, help me to be wise in this life. So desire the greater gifts, and the greatest of all those gifts is wisdom. The message of wisdom, it's a supernatural insight into God's word by revelation. So as you read the Bible, you're getting revelations all the time. Who's read the Bible and saw things and gone, wow, that's amazing? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just giving you revelation. That's the message of wisdom, the word of wisdom. It is knowing how to accomplish God's will. So knowing what the will of God is and knowing how to accomplish the will of God. That's another revelational gift you need to have. I'm always asking, Lord, give me the... Mm-hmm. Let me know your will in this situation. Let me know how to achieve your will. And also, you need wisdom in evangelism. Proverbs 11.30, he who wins souls is wise. He who can win a soul is wise. If you can reach someone with the gospel, you're a wise person. So that's why we need wisdom. The purpose of this message of wisdom is... Ephesians 3.10, his intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Who remembers that from our Ephesians study? That's the intent of the church, that the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So to accomplish our mandate as a church, we should eagerly desire the spiritual gift of a message or a word of wisdom. The message of knowledge is another revelational gift. A word of knowledge comes upon us at various times. Sometimes it is supernatural insight into a scripture. Supernatural, like you just see something in the scripture, like uh, when John came up with the tav, the message on on the cross there, that was a bit of supernatural insight that he he received because he he didn't get it from a Chuck Missler video. He got stimulated to start studying the Hebrew alphabet because of Chuck Missler. But that discovery was something that, you know, just blew his mind when he discovered it. So it was a, sort of like a, a message of knowledge or a word of knowledge. Um, or it can be a strong impression of knowing a certain thing about a person or a situation. You know, people that can come up and, you know, like when Jesus met the woman at the well and she knew everything about her life and she could, he could tell her all these things that she's been doing in her life. And how she had had all these husbands and the one she's living with is not even a husband. That's, that's a word of knowledge, isn't it? That's a message of knowledge. And it usually comes through a strong impartation of divine revelation, which quickens our senses. It quickens us and picks us up and makes us think something about someone. And then we say, is this going on in your life? And they go, yeah, how did you know? And I just sensed it in the Lord, you know. So there are many accounts in the Bible of characters receiving words of knowledge from God. Like when Jesus knew what the Pharisees were thinking and plotting against him, he knew their hearts, you know, he could read their minds, he knew what they were discussing, and he knew they wanted to murder him. And he said, we're not going into that city because they want to kill me. (laughs) And, you know, you can imagine the disciples going, how does he know that? Or whether it is a supernatural revelation, this is the example I used before, like Jesus had when he revealed his knowledge of the woman at the well. Uh, Or just an insight in the scripture that is unique and encouraging. God works through us at all times with this kind of insight. So we all receive these kinds of revelational insights, especially if you spend time in the Bible and in prayer, in devotions. If you spend time there, these gifts will begin to operate in greater capacity sometimes than others, but 
it will start to operate. Now, one of the power gifts is faith. This gift is a supernatural ability to believe absolutely in God to do what you have asked and to not doubt or entertain unbelief. It's a supernatural ability to not doubt God. This is the gift of faith. Who has that gift here? Yep, absolutely. So you can know without a shadow of a doubt if you're going to pray for a sick person, they'll be made well. That's the sort of gift of faith that I'm talking about. Or, or, um, or you pray for a job and you know without a shadow of a doubt you're going to get it. Or you believe something for a certain person is going to come to know Jesus and it happens. It's just a supernatural ability, of a uh, gift of faith. Smith Wigglesworth was a guy like that. He, they say he had a very childlike attitude towards faith. Uh, faith is required to function in the gift of healing and miracles. So faith is required to function in the gift of healing and miracles, but also in impossible situations where you have come to the end of your own ability where only God can accomplish something. You know, when you're at the point where you've just, I've done everything I can and I'm, I've got nothing left. Now it's up to you, God. You've got to do something now. And that's when faith has got to operate. Matthew 17, 20 says, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Who believes that? But it's only this big. It's only this much faith he's talking about. It's the smallest amount of faith. And you know what? That is the challenge. That is the challenge and I'll explain why. I believe Jesus is saying here simple, uncorrupted faith like a mustard seed is what's required, not large, complex theories of faith. If we start trying to work out, you know, the you know, physics and stuff of how a mountain is going to be uprooted from the ground and thrown into the sea and, you know, and God's going to have to get a, a certain amount of angels on the job to do this and, you know, and you're trying to process the whole thing. How's it going to happen? then of course it's not going to happen. And that's pretty well how most people think. It's the impossibility of it is so big that that small bit of faith is not enough. It can't be. And so we doubt. But we've got to have that childlike faith. You know, We've got to have a faith so strong that it, it, it's like Jesus just said, Rob, I've just told you to ask that mountain to move by faith. You know, so now Rob, do it. And I know I'd have confidence if Jesus stood beside me and said that. I'd say, move, mountain, because Jesus is right here. You better do what, you say, what he says or else he's going to step on you. Yeah, but um, that's the sort of faith that Jesus wants from us. Simple, uncorrupted faith, not large, complex theories of faith, which get in the way, make things difficult. Healing is another power gift. Uh, the gift of healing is one listed in Mark sixteen seventeen to 20 when it says these things shall follow those who believe. And it lists the kind of gifts which follow a true disciple in that um, scripture. Healing is usually of three kinds. We have physical healing, which is sickness, disease, blindness and deafness and others. Uh, emotional uh, healing, when people have deep hurts, self-esteem issues, trust issues, all that sort of stuff. Also, spiritual healing is where people need deliverance from spiritual holds, depressions, addictions. I believe depressions and addictions are spiritual. They're not emotional. They're spiritual. They're holds and the things they can't control. 
psychology, they don't approach it from a spiritual perspective. They're trying to motivate people out of addictions. But as soon as they fall into a rough spot again, they go straight back to their addictions. So spiritual healings, deliverance, depression, addictions, things like that. So the spiritual gift of healing is one that all believers all over the earth should be praying for and believing for so that the church can better serve humanity and its great needs. We need the gift of healing in the church today. We're we're living in a world where there's an epidemic of sickness and disease. You know, in our community, just in, in Adelaide or in Australia, you know, I've never seen so many people die of cancer. You know, it's such a common occurrence today. You know, nearly... Every family has at least one or two people with cancer in it. You know, there's no, no time that has such a great need like now to see the church operate in the gift of healing, but genuine healing. Mm-hmm. Not come up the front if you've got a headache and I'll pray for you and then they walk away going, yeah, I f- feel a bit better. I've been healed and, you know, they're jumping up and down. No, but someone come up to the front who's got cancer and then goes away and comes back and with the doctor's report saying, yes, it's gone. And I had a terminal illness and it's gone. You know, real genuine cases. I know um, a pastor who contacted me who read one of my books in um, Sydney. His name's Ben Reddy, Pastor Ben Reddy. He sent me an email telling me of some of the healings, miraculous healings, where one lady came in with cancer and he prayed and um, he just felt faith release as he prayed and then she came back with a doctor's report she'd been completely healed of cancer and there's other accounts that he was saying that just the move of the spirit in that area so we've got to keep praying for faith by faith for people's healings but we've got to start praying that we get given the gift spiritual gift of healing amen we need it miraculous powers is another power gift a miracle is a supernatural power to perform something which is against the laws of nature, like the throwing of a mountain into the sea. That's a miracle, isn't it? Like the gifts of healing and faith, miracles function as a counterpart of them. They're all sort of like closely related, as you can probably gather. You know, healing, faith, miracles, they're all sort of intertwined, interlocked. Um, but they include raising the dead. You know, and I'm going to read you a story just at the end about Peter, how he, in the book of Acts, raised a woman from death. So they include raising the dead and also growing limbs. Do you remember Jesus stretched out a person's limb? You know, healed them on a Sabbath. And he said, your uh, sins are forgiven. So Paul prayed that we would know his incomparably great power for us who believe. He prayed that we would know this incomparably great power. Who knows that great power? Who's had that power surge through them? If, it ha- if you haven't, we need to pray that that power begins to surge through us. The power for the miraculous. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That's the power he's talking about. That's the miraculous power. The power that raised Jesus from the dead. That power was the Holy Spirit from the Father. The Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. And that power is available to us today in the same form and the same level of intensity as with with which Jesus was raised from the dead. This miracle working power is available to us who believe. And can we believe what the Bible says? That's the question we've got to keep asking. Can we believe that these gifts that are available to us can become, you know, part of our ministry, part of us? 
can we believe the Bible? It's always been the question in this church, hasn't it? Can we believe what it says? Because if we're not functioning in the ministry, in these ministries, who's wrong? The Bible? It's giving us false information? Or is it that we don't believe right? I think we don't believe right if we don't function in this. Jesus said one of the sure signs that you're one of my followers is that you will heal the sick. You know, so it makes you question, am I a follower? Am I a dis- true disciple of Christ when I don't heal the sick at a word? I don't have that ministry or that gift of faith. I'm not, I didn't say that either to question whether you are a true disciple, but I said it because we've got to believe that these gifts are available to us and we can active, be active in them. Prophecy is an inspirational gift. 1 Corinthians 14.3 says, But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement and comfort. So that's what prophecy is for. Just We speak to men for their strengthening, their encouragement and their comfort. Prophecy is used to speak life. In the Valley of Dry Bones, in Ezekiel 37.1-4, Ezekiel is told to prophesy to the dry bones and speak life over them. Who knows that story? And the dry bones came to life, didn't they? They knit together and flesh came on them and they stood up and they were a vast army. So that's you can speak life. That's one of the things we can do. We can prophesy over this church. We can prophesy over our nation and speak the life of Christ over our nation by, with, by word. We can take that on just straight up. We can just say this nation is going to bow before the Lord Jesus. And we can speak that life into our nation. God can use prophecy to guide and direct the affairs of his church in proverbs 29 uh, verse 13 and also in verse 18 it says where there is no vision the people perish the lord gives vision though through the prophetic word so the vision and direction of the of the church comes through prophecy and so we've got to pray god where should we go as a church what are we to do what's our mission how can we achieve this Give us insight. And then the word that will come for us will be a prophetic word that will give us direction. And if we don't have that direction, we perish. That's what the word says. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And you've got to think of that in everything. And if you don't have a vision for your future, you're going to end up not having much of a future. But the kids that go through school and they have a vision of the future, of what they want to be, and they start applying all the their life direction towards the thing they want to want to be, they become the people they want to become later in life. But if they don't have that vision, they're not going to become anyone. They're just going to become, you know. I say if a ship sets sail um, for a destination, it usually makes the destination, you know, using the coordinates and the compass and they get there. But if a ship sets sail with no destination, they usually end up smashed on the rock somewhere. You know, if it doesn't know where it's going. No, it would be crazy to think that a ship would set sail without knowing where it's going. So we've got to think like that in every area of our life. We are told to desire the gift of prophecy above all the gifts, as we read before in 1 Corinthians 14. 1, follow the way of, the, of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. So prophecy is put right up there with wisdom, isn't it? as some of the greater gifts that we are to desire. With prophecy, if you have the word of prophecy, a church that's full of true prophets that speak the word of God truthfully and know the will of God uh, can really help a church to grow and get strengthened and, and have a real strong course. 
Now, another spiritual gift is the sermon of spirits. And that's another revelational gift. The gift of discernment is a gift given by the Holy Spirit for us to recognize whether a person is functioning of God or they're functioning egocentrically or they're functioning by Satan. That's usually the three areas that people function. They either function by God or they function all about me, 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 or they're satanly inspired, satanically inspired. The gift is not to be confused with occultic mind readers or uh, psychics. Is that a spell psychic? That's physics, isn't it? Physics is pretty bad. Or similar demonically inspired (laughs) practitioners. Don't confuse it with physics. No. No. It's terrible stuff. The gift is of service to the body of Christ. That's what the gift is for. The gift of discernment, like all revelational gifts, is given to those who know the Word of God. If you know the Word of God, just that alone can help you discern truth from lies, isn't it? So if you, um, you know how we went through and studied all the uh, uncovering religion, uh, all the different religions and cults on this planet, and the discernment that God gave me during the research for that was great. It increased my awareness of that, and I felt I received an ability to discern spirits. After I'd done a little bit of that, I was starting to see just slight deviations from the truth. Um, in many different types of religions and even denominations and even in the teachings of certain, you know, renowned teachers. You know, I've been able to see and even John's starting to see it now and and you guys and I know uh, most of us here now can see when people are deviating from truth because if you know the truth, as the Bible uh, states it, it's very clear then if someone's deviated from that. An example of a true discerner of spirits is Pastor Joe Schimmel, who has been given great insight into uncovering Satan's currently working plan that he's actually got in action right now to deceive the masses. And he, he did that in a, a few different videos. One's called They Sold Their Souls for Rock and Roll. Another one's called Hollywood's War on God. But he also promotes Hollywood Unmasked. If you're, I think he had something to do with those videos as well. Also, in his latest video called Submerging Church, he reveals Satan's deception in the church also, that there's a a huge deception going on, especially in America and in other parts of the world, in Australia, with this emerging church and the deception of the doctrine that's being taught. It's pretty well, you know, unbiblical. It's, it's, It's cultish what they're teaching. This video is brilliant. You should take a look at it and see uh, a guy who has given an incredible ability to be able to discern spirits. Eight is the ability to speak in diverse tongues. That's another inspirational gift. This gift has been confused by many with the tongues of angels, which is a prayer language. In the same way as many have confused speaking in this prayer language to be evidence of the Holy Spirit baptism. So they've just confused the word tongues in the Bible has two different references. One is tongues of angels, but the other one is tongues of the languages of men. And uh, in the Pentecostal movement, and many people were baptized in the Holy Spirit and used powerfully through the Pentecostal movement, there's it's a, a, been an extremely beneficial movement in the Christian church. However, in the latter times, um, they've started to confuse the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the evidence of by speaking in tongues, which is sort of something as a catchphrase that the Pentecostals tend to use, as in, as of the day of Pentecost, uh, they spoke in tongues, therefore if you speak in tongues, that's evidence that you're baptised. However, you're not baptised in the Holy Spirit to be able to speak in tongues. That's not the purpose. The purpose is you're baptised in the Holy Spirit to be empowered 
to preach the word of God effectively and make disciples of nations. That's the purpose of the baptism. The tongues spoken on the day of Pentecost was not the tongues of angels. No, it's the tongues of languages of men. And also, if you're going to use signs of the, at the day of Pentecost as a proof of baptism, then there was also a great wind and there's also flames of fire coming from heaven like a tongues of fire that landed on the disciples. Now, if you're going to use the Pentecostal baptism as a standard for proof of baptism, then all of those things have got to be evident, and they're not in most people's cases. So the evidence that I'm looking at is empowered to be effective in ministry is the evidence for baptism. Not necessarily speaking in the tongues of angels, but tongues can be part of the sign that doesn't necessarily have to be a need for tongues to prove you're baptized so but i go in, into that a lot in the book uh, so they so you think that's the one so you think you're baptized with the holy spirit okay now both the tongue spoken on the day of pentecost and this reference in 1 corinthians twelve ten is referring to actual actual languages spoken on earth whether they be current or extinct Actual languages. These languages always need to be interpreted to be of benefit to the church. This is 1 Corinthians 14, 27 to 28. Paul goes into details about the, the need to interpret it. And, and if you can't find an interpreter, don't speak in tongues in church. He's pretty clear on that. And the reason is, he says, if unbelievers come in while you're speaking in tongues, they'll leave thinking you're going out of your mind. You know, something wrong with that place because they're all carrying on. So he says it's better to prophesy in that regard. Then those people that come in will be convicted of their sin and give their hearts to Jesus. So there's got to be a protocol in church. And tongues has a place, but uh, you can only speak in tongues as in loudly and as a message if you have an interpreter. No interpreter, no tongues. That's clear in Scripture. Just say someone speaks in tongues and it happens to be Greek. The Greeks here give us a translation and then someone else in the room will give us an interpretation of what that really does mean and how to apply it into the church. It can work that way as well. So we've got to distinguish between translation and interpretation. But then there's others that will speak in a language and no one in the room knows, as in natively, uh, but an interpretation will be given by the Spirit to somebody else, just a straight-up interpretation. That's the gift of, or this next gift, actually, the interpretation of tongues which is another inspirational gift. And this is the last one spoken about. So the Spirit does give us interpretations of tongues so that the diverse message which was spoken can give direction and encouragement to a congregation, a place, or universally. So it can, the, the message or the interpretation should give us encouragement to a congregation or to a whole place. It could be an interpretation for a community or universally it could be a message to the whole earth, you know. So we see less and less in, of this in today's church, however. I believe, however, we'll see it increasing in these last days. But the real supernaturally spiritual inspired interpretations, but genuine, not someone getting a hunch or a feeling, but a genuine spirit come upon them and powerfully impact them with the truth by vision or, or something, and then they step up the front and give us an interpretation. In some ways, we can consider the interpretations which some men of God have given us of very difficult passages of prophetic text in the Old Testament to be this gift in action. You know, I've heard uh, Chuck Missler give us some interpretations of Scripture, Old Testament prophecy, which is quite profound. 
and and uses this method and he will go into the ancient Hebrew and, you know, it's sort of a work-based interpretation but it's still accurate all the same. And I've just said that here. I've heard Joshim or Chuck Missler make some remarkable revelational interpretations of texts which have been hidden until the time of the end. Because remember Daniel said, you know, seal up this word because it'll be sealed up until the time of the end. You won't, no one will be able to understand it until that time. And now the interpretations are coming out. We're starting to hear interpretations of end time scripture, which is just remarkable. And no other time in history could these scriptures have been interpreted like this because the technology wasn't available for them to be interpreted like this. So it's remarkable stuff that we're seeing today. Now, just a couple of uh, quick references in relation to all this. In the book of Acts, in chapter 7, Stephen was stoned. Who remembers the story of Stephen being stoned after he made this long discourse on the history of Israel? Then in chapter 8, a great persecution broke out against the church. A huge persecution broke out. And it says in Acts 8, 4 to 8, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city. So I'll just go back on that. They, they were scattered out. All the, the disciples were scattered across the countryside. And wherever they went, they preached the word. And people began to believe. But Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So Philip's ministry was extremely effective because he functioned in many, if not all, the spiritual gifts. So people listened to him because he had miraculous powers at work in his ministry. And you'll find that a lot of the disciples of that time functioned in the miraculous and those signs and wonders brought many to the Lord. And just quickly turn with me to the book of Acts and go to Acts chapter 9, uh, verse 32. As Peter travelled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, a paralytic, who had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and tidy up your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. And all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So one faith healing of a, of a paralytic and the whole place turned to the Lord. Everyone who saw him turned to Jesus. That's why we get that gift. Yeah, it's, it's lovely that that guy got healed. But the greatest miracle was the amount of people that came to salvation as a response. And if we keep on reading, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas, who was all, always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. So obviously they didn't have the faith to heal, but they knew Peter did. So, hey, let's go and get him, bring him here, because he's got the faith to heal. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. 
many people believed in Jesus because of that sign of him raising the dead. He knew the power of God. He didn't have to pr- pray for five hours. He just knew he just knew his word was going to be honoured and he just prayed with power. And we've got to pray and believe like that. We've just got to pray for people. If you see someone sick, just pray and just be confident. In the name of Jesus, you are healed. Amen. We've got to just start to believe boldly like Peter did. So in conclusion, these nine gifts of the Spirit are available to those who eagerly desire the greater gifts. If you eagerly desire them, you'll get them. If you don't eagerly desire them, if you don't really care for them, you won't get them. And we should also read and rightly interpret 1 Corinthians 12, 27 to 31, where he talks about the hierarchy of the, of the gifts. And the last one he puts is tongues. And there seems to be a real twist in that in, the, in some churches where tongues is the most important thing and think you're not saved unless you speak in tongues. They hold tongues higher than prophecy. Well, let's read it, actually, just to get it clear. 1 Corinthians If you don't want to go there, I'll go there. Run Corinthians 12, 27 to 31, and it says this. Now that you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part in it. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues, Are all apostles? What would be the answer to that? No. No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Well, it just flows in line, doesn't it? It has to be a no because every other question was a no answer. Do all interpret? No but eagerly desire the greater gifts. So the greater gifts, obviously, are the first ones. The apostleship is the greatest gift. Eagerly desire to be an apostle. Eagerly desire to be a prophet. So yet tongues, in some, there's a, a, a group called the Revival Crusade, I think, something like that. Revival Center. Revival Center, yeah. But they believe that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. Mm. But it says here clearly, not all speak in tongues. So how do they equate that into their doctrine that unless you speak in tongues, you're not saved? Yeah, they don't read it. Or they don't want to read that and, and rightly interpret it. They'll wrongly interpret it. Right? And that's, that's a problem in, in the church, people twisting what the Bible says to fit their theology. And I'd rather be twisted to fit the Bible. Because you know what? If I get twisted to fit the Bible, I'll be twisted straight. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Untwisted, yeah. I'll be twisted out of my twist into the right. Yeah, so not all speak in tongues. But he says, I wish you all would speak in tongues from a perspective of it's a benefit to you in your prayer life. So we've got to rightly interpret that scripture in relation to those who desire the greater gifts and what the greater gifts are. The greater gifts are apostleship, prophecy, those sorts of things. The lesser gifts and the least one there was tongues. But it is, and the reason is, is because the tongues don't build up the church unless there's an interpreter. So if you speak in a spiritual language, you're not going to bless the church. You're only going to bless yourself. It's an edifier for the self, the speaking of tongues of angels. Do you believe that God could manifest these gifts in you? Do you believe? 
Who would love to have the gift of healing? Put up your hand if you'd love to have the gift of healing. That if you could walk along and see someone in a wheelchair and yeah, and you would love to just come up and just pray a, a miracle-working prayer over them and get up in the name of Jesus and you see them step out of that wheelchair. You'll be buzzing for weeks, months after something like that. Be the greatest thing that you could ever do and you just feel like you just did the, you know, a wonderful thing if that gift worked in you. So pray for that gift. It's a wonderful thing to have. But we've got to not limit God by estimating the potential in us for these gifts to operate by our current abilities. Because if you're only looking at yourself and saying, well, I don't have that ability, well, of course you don't. You know, don't estimate what God can do in you by what is already happening in you now. And realise that these gifts of the Spirit are exactly that. They're gifts. Gifts given to us as a blessing to our personal ministries so we can serve the body of Christ better and be more effective at winning souls into the kingdom. That's what it's for. You heal someone, the benefit is, is yes, it's great to see that person healed, but it's the testimony that follows that is the power. It's to see people come to know Jesus because that person got up out of that wheelchair so that you can say, don't think it was because of my great power that this person got out of the wheelchair. It's because of the name and faith in the Son of God that this person got up out of wheelchair. So receive Jesus into your life. You know, you can testify to Jesus as a result of that faith. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for this time now and uh, the message that you've given us. And I pray that it really does stir us and help us to change and be transformed and to seek the greater spiritual gifts that you're talking about here, that all these gifts can operate in this church, Lord, that you will manifest these gifts in this church and that, Lord, in every single one of us, things will start moving and, and taking effect in us, that the Spirit will start to speak through us in, in amazing ways and that you'll give us direction and insight and wisdom and, and a faith working of faith and power in our in our ministry in this church and that Lord we can see some remarkable things taking place we'll see souls coming to know you we'll see people healed we'll see prophetic words given that will just change the course of not only our lives but many in the world as well people in the world that are watching these videos will be impacted by the words given in this place so we pray Lord that you give us just the faith to believe for these gifts to work in us. And Lord, help us to approach it like a little child and not doubt, but just receive. So we thank you, Lord, that you called them gifts, that you didn't call them works. It's nothing that we can do would make us uh, gain these gifts, but it's simply something that you give. So pr I pray that you work in our hearts and cause us to desire these gifts with all our heart. And Lord, I just pray your blessing over the rest of this day and over this week and that you'll be with us and protect us, cover us with your precious blood and put your angels around us and watch over us all these uh, uh, for these next six uh, to seven days. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. amen.